Nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone. Nobody goes off trail. Nobody walks off trail. <laughs> nobody walks alone. <laughs> Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! 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 The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. My name is Jamie Clare, and I'm here with my good buddies to talk about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Episode 3, titled Adar. With me, as always, is the official lore master of Hobbit Hoopla, Andrew Smith. Andy Smith here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things, DC, Marvel, Star Wars. I'm a hobbit under a hill. <laughs> we are also joined by the expert of all things fantasy, Chris Pio. Hey guys, Chris back for another episode here. Find me at, at @applepio on Instagram, at apple underscore underscore pio on Twitter. And uh, sorry if you haven't seen any posts on social recently. I was busy officiating a wedding. I guess you could say I was the Lord of the Rings. I just gotta say, thanks for finding me on Twitter and Instagram for giving me a couple shoutouts for my correct ratings of the previous episodes. You guys are the real winners. Thanks for listening. Whoa, 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 whoa. I had to get it right out of the way. The people are in support of my ratings. Not the way I was reading Twitter. Everybody said I was correct. All my theories were right. People said I'm the smartest person they've ever read. And if you disagree, I dare you to tweet at the show, at Hobbit Hoopla. And follow. And like our tweets. And follow. <laughs> like, subscribe. And joining us once again is the aspiring Numenorian blacksmith, Jake Laxer. Jake Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. Let me tell you, I loved episode three. Excited to be jumping back in to do a little bit more podcast review. And what a crew we have here. I mean, look, look at these beautiful people that I'm getting to podcast with. You can't see us, but just assume, yes, we are beautiful people. Yeah, they're elves. <laughs> they're just all in ethereal light. Just imagine all of the ethereal light you can imagine, and then the, that's them. Just four beautiful elves talking about the show. Editor Jake, you need to throw in some ethereal music in the background of this episode yes. so that people can really get a sense for just how beautiful the four of us are. Do you mean this ethereal music? Pause for ethereal music. Yes, exactly like that. <laughs> Jake, I tell you what, you're looking just as beautiful as a city we were introduced to in this new episode, oh. but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. First, we have to thank all of our wonderful listeners. Thank you all for everyone who tuned into the first two episodes of Hobbit Hoopla. Thank you all for tuning into this third episode of Hobbit Hoopla. Please go ahead, thank subscribe you. wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about us like subscribe all that good stuff and chris where can they find us online really you could just head to our link tree and find all of our relevant links uh that's just linktr.ee forward slash hobbit hoopla but we're on all relevant socials you can obviously find us on spotify you can find us on apple podcasts and all other relevant podcasts but if you're looking for us on socials twitter and instagram are probably the best ways to find us collaborate with us and definitely give us your hot takes on why my episode ratings are the best episode ratings that we've ever seen in terms of episode ratings. Hey, your episode ratings might be correct, but my theories are the greatest of all. Hmm. I give you that. Maybe. We're working on some. And my hooplas are the hoopla-ist. <laughs> we'll start a poll on Twitter to see who's got the hoopla-ist hooplas <laughs> of the bunch. Since everybody can clearly tell our voices apart during the hooplas, we should get some good votes. We'll put a poll up on Twitter about that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Without any further ado, let's get right into it. And as Chris was talking about, we get introduced to one of the most beautiful cities we've seen in anything related to the Lord of the Rings, as Galadriel and Hallbrand are rescued by a ship coming from the island kingdom of Numenor. How about our first introduction to a seafaring human kingdom? I thought that was... Great when Absolutely. Galadriel walks up on the, the top deck and you just see the army or the, the captain of this ship. Uh, I thought that was wonderful. The architecture of this nation is very different, but also reminiscent of uh, things we've seen in the past. 
Yeah, we see beautiful, massive stone buildings and structures and giant carved stone faces on the walls of this inlet that they're sailing through. It's one of the biggest cities we've ever seen, if not mm-hmm. the biggest city we've seen in Lord of the Rings so far. Sure. I just wanted to say, what an epic introduction. Kudos to Bear McCreary and the music production team, also to Jason Smith and those involved in visual effects. We first get this booming orchestral music, mm-hmm. which is outstanding, which coincides with this imagery of this emerging beautiful city sprawling from the river. It reminded me a lot of sort of a Positano village off of the Amalfi coast of Italy. But we get these like gold and royal blues and cities bussing with life. It was very entertaining, very eye-catching for the introduction of a newfound territory. Kind of going back to how reminiscent it is of things we've seen in the past, where you see this Gondorian-like architecture. You see the statues. What I immediately thought of is when the Fellowship of the Ring, Aragorn says, these are the great kings of old, my kin. And they immediately connect what we've seen in the fellowship and then obviously in return of the king and in Minas Tirith. obviously the lights you know when the actual fire is lit up at the top of the towers i love that one thing of big note here i think for the scene obviously it was beautiful but the sweeping shot is back and further on in this episode we get a couple more and we'll get to that but this first one here to show off the beautiful city of numenor my god i want to go here in a video game right away I know we're still watching the show. I know there's more episodes in the seasons, more seasons to come, but I need a video game ASAP, and I want to go to Numenor. I'm mm-hmm. pulling it up on this other screen here, and I, it's obviously the great stone architecture, but in the background, you also see this cascading mountain over top. It's It almost has a mystical vibe to it in some ways. Yeah, definitely, because it's this island nation, right, in a beautiful climate, which is what we see when they first come in. Of course. It's- beautiful city as we've all described but then in the background you see a mountain covered with snow right Mm -hmm. so not only is this a huge island it's a varied Mm -hmm. island in terms of landscapes and and everything we get to see some of that with galadriel a little bit later on which we can get to but it's a huge island and numenor is one of the most powerful kingdoms of men that ever was in tolkien lore and we finally get to see it for the first time we get to meet the current queen of numenor Muriel and her top advisor, mm-hmm. her right hand man, That's her right. Farazan, whatever his title is, Farazan, Chancellor Farazan, great head of hair on that guy. <laughs> you gotta love the flow. That was my takeaway. <laughs> great hair, absolutely. Great hair, great beard, great vibes, great vibes in general, but negative vibes as far as elf. elves are concerned. Because That's very as true. soon as Galadriel sets foot on Numenor, you can hear the whisperings of all the people in this little seaside village. And then when mm-hmm. she gets up to the queen and is in front of the royal court, everybody is very mm-hmm. surprised to see an elf on this island. It's evidently been a very long time since an elf was previously on Numenor. We don't really get too, too much specifics as to why the elves have been no longer welcomed in Numenor. So we'll get into that a little bit, but it is interesting to see this island of men where the ancestors of these men in Numenor were the ones who worked with the elves during the battle that ended the first age to defeat Morgoth. Yes. And now, after some amount of time, elves are no longer welcome on Numenor. So again, we get a very interesting relationship between elves and men within this world. And one detail I just wanted to point out that I believe this domain is somewhat important, especially in regards to its like geographical location on our map transitions, as we see. You notice that this is actually located in the heart of the Sundering Seas between Middle-earth and Valinor. So to the elves, I have to imagine that Numenor is a pretty important location in terms of you know being able to travel to and from the ethereal plane. That was actually something I was surprised about during that map transition. It really is a very far distant land from Middle-earth. It's not surprising that the men of Middle-earth would have no idea who this, what this human kingdom is. So I'm really interested to see where they go exploring the link between Numenor and Middle-earth. Um, and I'm sure we'll learn in the next episodes or two. Yeah, Galadriel uh, says to Halbrand and claims that this is the land that was given to these people of Numenor after, as a reward for helping and not standing with Morgoth. Queen Regent Muriel snaps back and says, mm. nothing was given to our people. We paid this price. We fought with the elves. We earned this land. So for you to come into my throne room and say that, 
bad move by Galadriel. She goes for it, though. That's for sure. It's great to see the different perspectives of these different kingdoms, right? From the elves' perspective, this was gifted to you. Without us, you would be nothing. And that's always kind of the back and forth between humans and elves. Yeah. <laughs> the elves have always been kind of more gaudy, while the humans are in their fields of grain, right? Just working away and trying to better themselves. Um, I thought that was a really interesting interaction. And then also the interactions with Muriel and then the other human that's from Middle-earth. That's a shocking thing to have Paul Brand from the Southlands, which I thought that was pretty funny. Galadriel is essentially a warrior princess that walks in, and then there's Hallbrand. <laughs> yeah, I know I made a Game of Thrones reference earlier, but I'm going to do it again. In my mind, this was very Danny Targaryen introducing all of her, like, stated names. And then we have Halbrand. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, great situational humor. Again, that's one little, like, icing on the it cake works. that I always love about Lord of the Rings. I thought you were going to go a different direction than Game of Thrones with mm. this one, crossing over into another fandom here. This interaction and an interaction later, which, again, we'll talk about, Halbrand kind of gave me a dandelion or Yaskir vibe from The oh. Witcher if you're watching the Netflix oh. show. Very diplomatic, very, uh, let's be friends here. Uh, let's, let's put mm -hmm. our differences aside. Obviously, he's a trickster, and that's also something that shares in other qualities. But uh, that's kind of the vibe I got from him. That scene with Neil, he walks in and says in whispers to Galadriel, Neil, no one kneels in Numenor. And then he whispers, sorry. <laughs> I thought that was great, too. I agree, though, Chris. I think his comedic timing is almost mm -hmm. identical to Yaskier's. I definitely thought so. That shouts out to Charlie Vickers that he's been a great actor for Halbrand so far in three, three episodes. I don't know anything about The Witcher, but I believe you guys. <laughs> There's a very clear connection and mirroring from Hallbrand and another Lord of the Rings character, Aragorn, Strider, the future king of men who has abandoned his duties as king and is kind of hoping that his responsibilities may not fall on his shoulders. That was an interesting revelation we got towards the end of this episode as Galadriel finds out that this token on Hallbrand's neck Mm -hmm. is the insignia of the royalty of King of the Southlands. I can't remember if there was a more specific nation that he was the king of. I think it was just king of your mm -hmm. people. King of the Southlands. She mentioned that that king banded the tribes together and served Morgoth. Beyond that, we don't know too much more information. So now Halbrand is both trying to escape. Potentially, if we like to think of Halbrand as a good guy, he's trying to escape the past of his ancestors of siding with Morgoth. Or potentially there could be some evil still within Halbrand that may lead to him siding with Sauron in the future here. Who knows? Still a mysterious right. character. The more we get to know about him, he, the mystery continues to grow. Yeah, there were two things that I actually really enjoyed about his character in this episode. The first being his sleight of hand that we see two times, stealing back Finrod's dagger and taking the press guild. One thing to say about Halbrand's interest in joining the guild of the blacksmiths is... That could be another tick mark in the list of things that make him possibly on the evil side, as we know sure. that Sauron could be one of these mysterious characters. He could be hiding in plain sight as one of these people claiming to be a human, corrupting oh, the, the men of Numenor. Sure. You're coming out with another sure. blockbuster theory? I am all about the theories, and we know that Sauron teaches the elves how to craft the Rings of Power. So he has some blacksmithing skills, as Hallbrand also claims to have. I absolutely agree. Yeah, and so at you know, as we're leaving this court at the start of the episode, he claims, let me keep my peace, or at least refers to that. Well, he doesn't keep his peace very long now, does he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Gets into quite the quarrel in uh, the taverns. Yeah, which leads to yet another tick mark in the side of mm -hmm. Hallbrand being evil is that ferocious attack he has on the blacksmiths who come after him, snapping a dude's arm clean in half Oof. and bashing one of the dudes up against the stone wall. Brutal. This is not your father's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Some of these deaths already and, and injuries and fight scenes have been just a little mm. brutal. Gruesome. You love to see it. I 100% agree, Jamie. I Watching through this episode, about halfway through is when he gets into this fight. And he tries to stay back, right? Like he tries to just talk his way out of it and then eventually just brutalizes these four Numenorians. 
at that point in time, I was 100% on the train that Hallbrand is Sauron in human form. Now, towards the end of the episode, I've changed my tune. <laughs> Definitely keeps going back and forth. But one mm. thing I did want to call out from one of our viewers that listened from uh, California, Will from California, last episode he mentioned to me, when Hallbrand and Galadriel are on this ship, she says, bind yourself to me. And at that one moment, lightning strikes down on the ship, almost like the elements were saying no. And then they, oh. they're together. They have this relationship. He's a trickster, which we know is a backstory to Sauron as well. I'm still on the train. I think he may be Sauron in human form. Hmm. I do love speculation on this show. If we're not spitting out theories, then what's the point? Everyone right. could be Sauron, but I do think... <laughs> Hallbrand is a top contender for potentially being Sauron. I'll use a scene transition to talk about something else, but also give a little more weight to that potential theory. I know he's supposed to be a king and all, but Numenor at the Hall of Lore has all of this information on him and his people, and that's how Galadriel finds out and then rushes right back to call him on it. Why is that mm. file so big when the Loremaster brings that out? on Hallbrand and his people. That's a good point. I wonder how interesting he has been or how many other things of note need to be in that file on Hallbrand. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we get to learn all about the history of his people and uh, see if he fulfills his destiny a la Aragorn to once again wear the crown of his people or if he's going to abandon it or if he's evil. It could go so many different ways. We'll never know. This uh, theory may be a little contradictory to the speculation that I had. I was going to reference there was a line at the end as they're meeting in, in the chambers. Galadriel says ours was no change of meeting. Ellipsis. Ours was the work of something greater. My prediction was, you know, everyone's had their theories in terms of Andy's Mordor theory, which, mm. by the way, looking pretty damn good right about now. <laughs> That's um, true. We That's have, a good point. <laughs> we have Chris's Saruman theory, which, again, I'm still very happy with that. And I know all of you were tuning in in episode two to find out what I would call the stranger. And I apologize. I was actually leaving you on a cliffhanger for episode Ooh. three. He is the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I was trying to say. Um, and lastly, you know, we have Jamie's Elvish Bronwyn theory. My theory is now we have all these different connections, all these yeah. different little cohorts. I think the conclusion of season one is our Fellowship of the Rings. Saying it here now. We're going to have all our different parties come together. We have the Harfoots meeting up with the Stranger. We have Galadriel meeting up with Halbrand. I think we're all going to converge, and we're going to see even Durin and Elrond end up meeting with us, and we will have a Fellowship of the Rings end of Season 1. That would be beautiful. I would love to see that. I'm not sure. At the moment, that doesn't strike me as something that's likely to happen with all of these groups coming together to meet at the same time, but that would be awesome. That'd be a perfect parallel to the Fellowship of the Rings. Not the worst theory by far. <laughs> and, and Jamie, we know what we need to get to, right? We're going to get to the point where Elrond and, and Isildur strike the ring from Sauron's hand. That's the ending to this series. So how long it's going to take for those storylines to materialize, for the humans and the elves to band together. Obviously, we haven't even gotten to the creation of the rings yet. There's a lot of storylines, but I think this episode, after some good setup episodes, pushed us towards that end goal, especially with the introduction of Elendil, which was probably my favorite part, mm -hmm. at least of the, the Numenorean sequences introduced here at the on the top deck of the ship. You don't hear his name until the very end of that sequence with Farzan and, and Muriel. And when they say the name Elendil and the son Isildur, that, oh. that connects everything, right? Mm. Once again, this is a little odd because we're doing the full second age within like 60 year time span. Um, <laughs> that's okay. And when we hear Isildur's name, the very first time we hear Isildur's name, we hear a woman whispering, Isildur. It does seem to be something is calling him towards Middle-earth. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Might not be a specific person, might not be a specific elf. It might just be the general concept of being pulled towards Middle-earth, which he will eventually make his way to, as we know that Elendil and his son Isildur, who we met in this episode, are there with Elrond in the battle where Sauron 
is defeated, which ends the Second Age and is the very beginning of the Lord of the Rings movies. This TV show is kind of, I guess, compressing and messing with the timelines of the Second Age as it is within the actual token lore. In lore, the rings are forged in around the year 1500 to 1600. All of the rings of power are forged. And then Isildur is born in the year 3200, roughly, and then about 200 years later is when the Second Age ends with the defeat of Sauron. So I guess for the show, if they want to have the storylines of the rings being crafted and the storylines of the War of the Last Alliance of Elves and Men where Sauron is defeated, then they have to do some compressing of the timeline and shifting of events, which I'm fine with as long as they are yeah, coming up with I an agree. interesting story and a self-consistent narrative that allows us to enjoy the show for what it is. They can mix up the timelines a little bit. That's fine by me. You're right, Jamie. It's, it's all in terms of does it serve the story that they're writing? And so far, these are just major events that are just going to happen in sequence, which is perfectly fine. Now, if it gets too wonky, then we'll definitely hear it online from some Tolkien fans. But if it works well, without a doubt, then I, I think it, it makes sense. I'd rather it be this case where we can have these introductions to characters like Isildur at the same time as Galadriel going through her quest, than doing time skips and, and other means of navigating that lore. We'll, we'll keep track of that, I think, over the next few episodes and into the next seasons as well. Speaking of character introductions, Isildur has a sister. Yes, he does. Iarian, ah. um, who we don't get to learn too much about her in this first episode, other than, of course, she is the daughter of Elendil and the sister of Isildur. But we do learn she has been accepted into the Builders Guild. The Builders, School yeah. of yes. Architects or something along those lines. What is she going to build? I thought that same thing. I thought this was a little bit of a tease to put the notion in our heads as viewers that being a member of the guild is a sacred thing for the people of Numenor. And then just to introduce this character and then immediately give us that huge thing, which we're made to feel important because Halbrand couldn't so easily get a hold of one. So this is definitely an important thing, and I think we need to put a little more weight into that. So that's a good catch, Jamie. I like that. Why exactly the Builder's Guild? And, you know, the fact that she was encouraged by Isildur to reapply in order to get this. Does Isildur know something that we do not? That's one way to take it. I think it's a setup for kind of a redeeming character aspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isildur's got a short temper. We obviously see in that scene with their father there that mm -hmm. he does not want to really be a part of this cadet's military ranking call-up test that they're going to have here soon. Seems kind of just like a uh, a trial for becoming a true sea guard. Sea guardsman. Sea guardsman, I think it That's was. That's right. So he clearly doesn't want to be a part of this. He walks away from his father during that scene. I'll just jump in. The last thing we'll say about Isildur and Iarian. Once again... I'm out here with some crazy theories, <laughs> way too early to put this out here, but hey, hear me out. I just got to get it on record as soon as we meet the characters so that everybody knows I was the first to have this theory, maybe unless other people have it online, but they don't matter. Isildur convinced Iarian to apply to the guild a second time. Iarian is going to become evil, use her building skills to craft something for the Dark Lord. So then Isildur had his hand in helping Sauron and will also be the one to take him down. That's my crazy theory that's way too early Dang. to say. Uh, but come back yeah. at me in I mean, five seasons. You could say that you could say that about any character <laughs> that they're manipulated by the Dark Lord. And we'd probably be like, okay, that could happen. All I'm saying is Iarian's gonna build something for Sauron. Marigold Brandyfoot is evil. Poppy is evil. <laughs> One last thing to talk about in Numenor before we move off to our next group of people in this episode is Elendil is punished by Queen Muriel uh, by put on babysitting duty with Galadriel yeah. <laughs> and gifted a sword, which upon first viewing, I thought, is this Narsil? Is this mm -hmm. the sword that defeats Sauron? After looking it up and seeing images online of what the sword in The Lord of the Rings looked like versus the sword in the show... They do not look yeah. to be the same sword. They don't look very similar. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I thought what you were just about to say about the shot of the sword and the introduction of the sword was that that was supposed to be used as an, shall we say, extermination tool 
I thought that there was going to be more of like a execution, get rid of this problem style. I was waiting for, you know, when he pops up behind Galadriel as she's evading some of the Numenorean guards, I thought he was going to take a swing at her or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, That's not in his character to do, but yeah, I, I thought the same thing, Chris. That's not something Elf Friend would do. That's right, Elf Friend. I felt it was portrayed to the audience in that regard, but I felt that I believe he was upgraded to post-captain. I don't think upgrade was the correct term that they used, but... Promoted. I, I don't even think they used the word promoted. Evolve. Um, but it was to that degree. <laughs> like a Pokemon. <laughs> what? Elendil is evolving. <laughs> what, what is happening? <laughs> Yeah, promoted to post-captain. I think this might actually be a situation where the audience is sort of fooled into this being a negatively connotated situation, but I think this actually may put Elendel in a better light. I think that was intentional, because I think Queen Muriel and Farazon wanted Elendil right. to potentially kill Galadriel if it came to it. I think there was explicit threat of violence that they wanted right. to enforce, but Elendil, mm-hmm. being an elf friend is not going to do that. For sure. There was a big question of loyalty sure. with that scene, with the Queen Regent. She goes into the name uh, Ellen Deal. It's saying that it has two meanings. It's a really important scene. And he says it means one thing, but she says, does it mean something else? Elf friend. And obviously we get that because the very next scene we see he's not a very good babysitter, takes her on a little horsey ride. I got to shout out this scene. This slow this scene. motion horse ride on the beach was just so so cool a perfectly shot scene this is exactly the reason that she jumps off the boat yes of course she's duty bound and purpose bound but it's the first time we really see her smile ever since jumping off into the ocean i i'm sorry i'm gonna have to disagree with you i hated the fact that she was smiling i was so unhappy i hated it i felt that it was so unreflective of this stoic character that's so purpose bound she seemed so overjoyed just let her ride. Yeah, I, I actually had the same re- reaction. First of all, I also loved the scene where usually we're just seeing like great sweeping shots of different landscapes. This was a little bit different. You knew they traveled for a long time because you just see the slow-mo of the actual galloping. Like when all four feet of the horse are mm-hmm. off the ground, you know that they're just they're they're flying to their next destination. It seemed a bit odd. It seemed forced. You guys are haters. I don't like it. You guys are haters. She's had a horrible thousands of years. She's I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And you're going to give her shit for being happy for 30 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> she deserves a day off. Yeah, well, here, this is the thing. This is not our father's Lord of the Rings, as Chris said. And so it's hard for me to see elves being happy in this dark, ominous sort of world that we're being built in Amazon land. That's, that's just my two cents. I have a new theory to propose Jake is a buzzkill. We simply have to move on. <laughs> I'm glad she likes riding. That's great. I, I'm going to say one last thing before we transition. It's going to be very quick. Um, Queen Regent climbs the tower where yeah. her father is in exile, the previous yes. king, and she claims it is here, father, the moment we feared. This seems like a conflict of interest to me. He originally was forced out or stepped down out of his political positioning due to the fact that he was befriending the elves Now it seems like he may not have stepped down for that reason. We'll figure out the truth to that later on, I think. There was an important scene because it just pushes the mystery forward, but one question we did get solved is the very end of the Numenor scenes here, right before the conversation that Galadriel has with Halbrand back at Numenor. The Hall of Lore scene, what did we think about that sigil turning into the map? Because Mm -hmm. I know my Star Wars fans out there might have thought the same mm-hmm. thing from that final episode we got in the Skywalker saga, <laughs> the dagger scene. This one turned out a lot better. Right. I think the sigil being a map piece and only finding that out at the Hall of Lore felt earned. It felt like a cool little mystery, just self-contained in these first three episodes. And mm-hmm. I think, again, Andrew might have a winning theory here that we're talking about the Southlands turning into yes. what might be Mordor in the future. We'll get to it, but it starts to turn even more. You see the environment in that area. But on the sigil itself, I thought that was great because we've seen it in different locations now right we saw it in the northernmost wastes and it gives a backstory to what the dark lord is doing morgoth has been defeated now here is the location as a contingency for all the orcs to come to this area and follow his successor the dark lord yeah 
Adar, maybe Sauron. I thought that was pretty cool that really it looks when you see it upright, it looks like a sword and then it ends up being a, a location mm. on the map. I think it was a great way to do it. And they didn't, as Chris was saying, they didn't drag it out too long and make it this mysterious sigil that we had to question about for three years just to be like, oh, it's a map. <laughs> uh, but now we know that the Southlands is where evil is going to arise, where the followers of Morgoth are going to band together and try to take over the world once again. Classic Lord of the Rings stuff. So, fantastic introduction to Numenor. We get some great new characters, some extremely 100%. important characters for the future of the show and for the future of mm -hmm. Middle-earth in general. But now let's take a little walk over to our friendly little ancestral hobbits, the Harfoots. Map transitions are back, map, and map, these ones map. are cool. <laughs> More map transitions, and we arrive with the Harfoots getting ready for their next migration which is a little nerve-wracking because is Nori's dad going to be able to join them on the migration? And we get some very interesting insight into the culture of the Harfoots as they're very friendly and seemingly happy-go-lucky, but they do have some very strict rules that everybody has to follow. Nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone. This migration, like you mentioned, Jamie, they don't tell us much about this. I like how they introduced mm -hmm. it because the migration is obvious once you think about it. It's a race of people that are migrating for one given reason or another. We see that in real life. People migrate, animals especially, but it sounds like it's something that is just harsh. They go through that scene, yeah. the remembrance scene. Mm -hmm. We, oh, walk, was, we will wait for you. It was heartbreaking, yeah. but it, it's also scary because these are supposed to be whimsical. Right. We've used the word whimsical a couple of times already describing these people, and they have to go through this Every right. season, every year, this is harsh. We learn that this is how they endure, right? But in regards to that scene, I thought Megan Richards, who plays Poppy mm -hmm. Proudfeller, I thought she killed it. Yeah. Yeah, because we learned that all of Poppy's family was mm -hmm. left behind in the previous migration. Yeah. And the way, you know, she really embraces the depressing element of her entire family being wiped out by this landslide. It's difficult to portray that in film, especially when the camera's, you know, right up on your face. But I think she really actually did a great job here. And with that, I say to the Proud Fellows, we mm. wait for we you. We do indeed. And as Chris was saying, use the word harsh. And I agree with that completely, that this is harsh way of life, but it's how they have to survive. And it gives us another clear difference between the Harfoots and the Hobbits. And when these people will eventually find the Shire and find their place of safety, find a sanctuary where they can just live a life of happiness, then they can forget about this harsh lifestyle. But in the meantime, these are a migratory group of small beings in this dangerous, dangerous world. And in order for all of them to survive, they have to be a little harsh so hopefully we get to see maybe some transition we know right. that nori is already kind of opposing the culture of the harfoots we'll see if she takes them in kind of a direction more closely related to the jovial nature of the hobbits or where she'll end up going with everything but that was a, a tough scene to watch it was but i i think they actually did a good job of bringing it back when they bring up blover bulger bees bees laugh at their friends who died <laughs> <laughs> they all oh, start yeah. laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot. That's pretty much what Sadox oh, says. Oh, man. And, and that brings a tiny bit of whimsy back. Not all of it, obviously. They're joking about a, a dear, dear no. comrade that's, that's perished <laughs> in, just in a funny way, but... Something we absolutely positively cannot gloss over here is the adorable scene where the stranger does the whole rigmarole of messing up and getting caught. Mm. And it's funny, <laughs> sure, but mm. he says Nori. He's looking for Nori. And yeah. that is adorable in its own right. And that's how I do that the stranger yes. would end up pulling the cart. And I called it. I mean, I have no proof. I wrote it down in my notes <laughs> at no the 50th proof. minutes that the stranger will end up pulling the cart. This is a not a live thing <laughs> edit by any means, but I will tell you I called I it. I love it. Right there, though, at that 50th minute, you uh, since we are talking about Nori and the hero elements and things like that, she gets that you're not special speech from her mother, which she says it out of anger, of course, because, you know, they've been sentenced to the back of the line. That's never good. But that's quote I pulled sounds great. The tallest milkweed gets snapped, yeah. which it sounds like great advice, especially for a hobbit or a harfoot or any sort of prey, but at the same time, it's very cowardly. It's just a way to survive. She says, what is life without friends? Nori does, but at the end of the day, they're not looking for friends. They're looking to survive, and that's just the way it is. Isn't that the most Hobbit-like quality? Absolutely. Right? You don't go beyond our borders. You don't leave the Shire. You don't leave the caravan. It's, it's the same type of theme. 
we right. know there's always the one character. There's the Bilbo. There's the Frodo. Where is Nori going to go? Mm-hmm. Where will she adventure off to? She's going to adventure with the stranger somewhere. In regard to the whole stranger conundrum, I put a little side note here. So we see the stranger causes this whole disturbance by catching the pages on fire. Is this because he lacks an understanding of Middle-earth's elements? Because as far as we know, he's familiar with cold fire. Does cold fire not burn like hot fire? (laughs) That was just something that I was just kind of curious about. Could be. He might not be familiar with cold fire. He may have just been blasted to Middle-earth in a ball of cold fire. Right. I would venture to guess that he would not understand the workings of cold fire the same that he doesn't understand the workings of hot fire because he's just scrambled up in the head right now until he can finally figure out who he is Mm. and then we'll figure out who he is and then we'll get to go on a great adventure with probably (laughs) Sauron. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! You're trying to sneak that one in there. Yeah, that was smooth. That was silky smooth. Real quick here, I just want to say every time that Lenny Henry is on screen as Sadok, awesome character, the leader of the Harfoots, Mm -hmm. kind of the mystic almost, but he's also one of the most good hearted while people want to throw Nori off of the caravan. He yep. said, well, she's young. She'll learn. Yeah, great character. He's that wise old sage yep. character, the old wizard character. He has that one line. He says, I've mm-hmm. never heard of people being turned into stars. Uh, the other way around, perhaps. But he's just that wise old man. Great comforting character. And yeah, when he speak, yeah. speaks up for Nori, he says, oh, she's young. She'll learn. We can't get rid of her completely. Great scene. With as much hair to grow on her toes as <laughs> yes. between her years. <laughs> the big mystery of episode three we get at the very beginning the title of episode three, Adar, as we find out that the orcs who have captured Arandir are being led by some mysterious figure named Adar, which we come to learn is an elvish word. So that adds a little bit of mystery is why are the orcs being led by someone yes. who is referred yeah. to by an elvish word? And we also find out that it's more than just Arandir who's been captured. All of the other elves who were in the same watch as Arandir have been captured. The watch warden and Arandir's friend, as well as all the other elves, have been captured by these orcs and enslaved to dig these tunnels that we've seen. We never did map transitions, but I gotta shout this one out because this one's cool. We go all the way over there and the map shows a tree. This is where we come into this scene a little later in the episode. The tree is in the way Mm -hmm. of the tunnels. One thing I got to shout out here that does feel so much like original Lord of the Rings. One of the orcs comes up looking with his cosmetics just like the days of old. There's very little CGI here. In the whole show, there's more. Love but that. these prosthetics and these characters feel very real. He comes up and says, this whole stinking tray's in the way. And it just yeah. felt like how orcs should talk. The costumes, the prosthetics, the makeup all look great. So shout out to the production team right off the bat here in this scene. You know what I what I love is the actual opening scene itself. Arondir is getting pulled through the camp. The, the lighting is very dim. And you can see he's dazed, obviously, after being grabbed by these orcs. It was such an interesting introduction to all of these different characters. He's confused, and then he sees his friends and is in pain. There's screaming in the background. It's terrifying. But at the same time, Chris, you're right. There's the yeah. there's kind of the jokes that the orcs make that is very similar to Two Towers. Looks like elves back on the menu. (laughs) So we find out that the orcs are sensitive to sunlight. So then all of the elves who have been captured and are forced to dig these tunnels come up with a plan that when the sun is at its brightest, they will attempt to escape. And if the elves can make it to the tree line and make it home, they'll come back with a force so powerful they will wipe orcs from this land entirely. And we get the coolest, I think, fight scene that we've had in the show so far. Incredible fight scene. Oh my god. Absolutely. Oh, easily. The action sequence was badass. I'm here to bust brackets. I'm here to bust brackets. This might be the coolest fight scene in the Lord of the Rings Ooh, as, a whole. Wow. as a whole. This was so cool, so well-deserved, so earned. We had no idea that Aaron Deere could do all of this. I mean, we knew he's a fighter. We knew he's a protector. We know he's a skillful elf, but this was awesome. Yeah, when he whips mm-hmm. the orcs with the chain yeah. that's tied around his ankle the yes. spiraling chain and that scene starts 
out of nowhere. It, it felt very John Wick, like, oh, anything can be used as a weapon. We see that later when he gets flung through the air, but he has time to grab a tree branch and just oh, gnarly, takes it into the, the neck. Oh, my oh, God. That was Killed dope. a guy with a twig. You guys make the points here because I'm geeking out. <laughs> yeah. You make the points. <laughs> he's he's a wood elf. <laughs> he, he would he would know right. where to grab and a twig. Jake's time on the podcast has come to a end. <laughs> Wasn't that the killing of Medor, though, shocking? This is the first Ah. real death we've seen on screen, I think. Yeah, well, like an execution style, at least. I was sitting there watching, and this isn't what I expected from the show. I thought it would be a little bit more family-friendly than that, but yeah, almost execution style, you're right, Chris. On my notes when I was watching the episode here, that's at minute 24, just about, if you're going to go rewatch it. I wrote down, water scene was a little weird, I don't know. And then I had an empty space and then watched the rest of the scene. And I said, oh, that's why. It was a setup. It Mm -hmm. was obviously the orc knew what he was doing, trying to get him to go up down with that bottle. But this, again, just plays a little bit more of the brutality of this series as opposed to some of the kills and and some executions we saw in the original trilogy. This stuff is a little more gruesome. And then we see Arondir, or Ismail Cordova's reluctance to cut down this massive tree, which has some crucial element in terms of its significance across Middle Earth, considering it's on the map. I got a very reminiscent vibe in terms of, don't judge me, (laughs) this tying back to Avatar, the movie Avatar, when uh, we see (laughs) Natiri murder one of the dogs to protect Jake Sully. Arondir, just before cutting it down, says, Anin Aspene. I'll, I'll give you that, and it leads me to a bigger point. I've noticed that nature has taken a front seat in terms of theme here and the Rings of Power show. Trees and petals and Mm -hmm. seeds and the seasons are so darn important in this show. Obviously, nature in a world of fantasy is important. That's a given from the Lord of the Rings original trilogy, but nature specifically in this show, Jake, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, and you see when Narondir does go up to cut that tree and, and the pain that's on his face, he looks out over the rest of the Southlands that's just burned. Yes. You know, Tolkien, one of the main themes of his books were around industrialization and taking down of of nature and what's happening in the world. This is very well done in seeing how that environment begins to shift. That does, I mean, we're looking at turning into Mordor over time. It's reminiscent of that two towers scene when Treebeard and take him down. Well, that yes, the industrialization that happens at Isengard. But then, of course, that moment when Arondir is up there, very reminiscent of Treebeard and Merry and Pippin walking through and finally seeing the destruction that the orcs and Urukai at Isengard have caused by taking down the forest, taking down all those trees. It was a very, very good callback. Yeah. And then as they continue trying to escape and break off the chains, Revion is able to break his chain and escape, does his cool little elf run up the roots of the trees up onto the surface where he is now able to get this same feeling of seeing how destroyed this whole land is trying to escape. We see Erendir climb up behind him to just watch his friend make his way to safety, knowing that even if Arendir is murdered by these orcs who have him by the chain, more elves will come. Then Revion turns around with an arrow in his chest, and then a second arrow in his chest. Boromir! I mean, <laughs> Revion! You saw the, the, the second arrow go in, and you're like, ah, Sean Bean. Poor Sean Bean. <laughs> the homie. I saw this as a missed opportunity as Arendir is holding onto the embankment to say, fly, you fool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's good uh, symbolism there. There's no help coming, and Arendir is almost murdered until the orc decide not to kill him, but to bring him to their leader, Adar. This might be, well, obviously we've been introduced to like Numenor and some of these other kingdoms, but this might be the most important early aspect of this show, because if you don't get the orcs and like the, the tone, if you don't get that right, then this show's not going to work. So the introduction was really important. I think they nailed it. This is definitely an orc that was in that second episode that Bronwyn took down with Theo. That skull mask definitely confirms it. That was definitely an orc that was hanging out. So question is, how far have these tunnels spread already? And what are these orcs looking for? That's right. They're searching for something. The hilt in Theo's possession. They are probably searching for the hilt of the sword that Theo has. And who is leading them is another big question. We get to see at the very end, the very last shot of the episode is a 
Adar comes walking through these orcs and we see a black cloaked figure. We see uh, the dark. left uh, hand wearing dark. the gauntlet uh, of dark. Sauron. That spike pointy fingered <laughs> gauntlet, which we will see in a few thousand years or a few hundred years, depending on how the timeline goes, getting <laughs> sliced off his hand by a sealed door. And then the very last shot of the episode is a blurred out mm-hmm. image of what seems to be an elven face. So we don't get to see who Adar is, and we don't get to learn too much about him other than he's leading the orcs and he has a name of elvish heritage. So I think we just got to go crazy with speculation here. From, you know, Tolkien lore junkies, I do think this is Anatar. We won't go into that now. We'll maybe learn a little bit more in next episode, but this is what we've been waiting for. This introduction, the blurred out ominous figure that maybe is an elven form of a character. I'm going to just throw a little tidbit in here. According to GamesRadar.com, I did <laughs> Games go online Radar. and do a little that one. web browsing. Adar in Tolkien's Cinderin or immortal elf language, translates to father. (gasps) Anakin Skywalker? Oh my goodness. (laughs) On the real though, I think that this could be, and I'm sort of taking, I'm going Star Wars here as a reference, like a Chancellor Palpatine sort of-esque situation. I think this could be Gil-Galad. You think this is Gil-Galad? Oh, like... Like high king. Actively right now, he's in two parts of the world being two people. Well, so le- let me let me say one thing that we didn't go into this possibility when we were talking about the timeline earlier this episode, but one thing they could maybe be doing is like a Westworld style thing where the storylines are taking place at different times uh, entirely. True. And we could be getting something mm. happening in the year 3200 and something happening in the year 1500. And we're seeing both those storylines in parallel. Mm-hmm. Potentially, I don't think that's very likely, but if that is the case, then this very well could be yeah. Gilgalad. I agree. I'm going to hold innocent until proven guilty on that one. It wouldn't necessarily be a bad direction for them to take if they wanted to do those timeline jumps and stuff like that, but uh, it doesn't really seem likely. I agree. So we got one vote for Gilgalad. <laughs> we got one vote for Anatar. Chris, who are you thinking? I'm going to play the field. I think this is perhaps just a new character. They've got enough brutality in the orcs that they can just introduce a leader that would have that same mentality. They're obviously having an objective in finding that hilt or finding the person that has that hilt. I think they can just afford to introduce a new character here. Do you think it's a new elven character or a new orcish character? I wrote down at the very end, last frame there, obviously you can't see much, but they're definitely teasing that this is not a typical looking orc. I said, um, is Adar a guy? I don't really know what I meant by that. (laughs) I was just, you know, a final note on the episode there, but who knows who this person is? Uh, Something that I'm going to say as a broader point here, just as we wrap up, at the end of the day, we're three episodes in, but eventually this show is going to need to stand on its its own two legs. We love relating it back to callbacks to the original trilogy, but we don't need to see an important character at every turn. Yes, I'm loving Galadriel's story. Yes, I'm cool with seeing characters from the OT as a whole, but they can introduce a new character here. Give me some new evil guy. Give me someone to root against for three seasons. I think that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with Chris on this one. I think it's too early to bring out Sauron directly, and you know me. I like go crazy with these theories, and this is just too simple. (laughs) Showing a guy wearing the gauntlet of Sauron (laughs) and leading the orcs, that's too easy. I'm saying no way they're taking the low-hanging fruit. This is probably one of the early elves to be corrupted by Sauron, and only time will tell. I think we got to wrap up the episode there. More speculation. We'll learn more about all these characters we've discussed today next week, so don't forget to tune in next week for our episode for recap chris as we do every episode you have a special segment for us there is some good in this world mr frodo this one's obvious if you guys have been keeping up with the show hobbit hoopla and all of us here just want to reiterate that racism has absolutely no place in the real world and even if it does have a place in the fantasy world it's a plot device it is inexcusable we saw this week some good in the world sean astin elijah wood billy boyd dominic montague all of the original four hobbits as well as plenty of other fans and checkmarked accounts for Lord of the Rings here. Just promoting that message. All are welcome here. This segment was uh, easy to pick up this week, Jamie, because it should be said loud and clear that there is no place for racism in this world. All are welcome and all can hoopla. Yes. Love that message that they're spreading out there. Louder than the hate is love. Well said. Well said, Chris. Thank you for that wonderful segment, Chris.
As we end every episode, we'll go around and give final thoughts on the episode and give it a rating out of 111. What do you think, Andy? For me, this episode hit on really everything you need to keep moving the story forward. I love the introduction to Elendil that gives us kind of the history we've been wanting and Isildur as well. There was a few wow moments with the two deaths that we see from Medor and, and Revion. I'm going to give this, I gave the last episode about a 95. I was missing not having Durin in this storyline, I'm going to give it a 97 out of 111 hooplas. Great episode. Let's go to Jake, who I know is going to give it a high score, as always. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely love this episode, minus Gladriel smiling. All right, you're done. <laughs> I was going to give it a 100, but that's oh, going to no. drop it down. <laughs> it was a bit of an awkward That's going to drop it down to a 95 out of a 111. I really did enjoy this. The action sequence is unbelievable in the labor camps. I love being introduced to Numenor, getting all these new characters, expanding the world let's continue to see where it goes if you weren't on the train previously for the setup of the show with episode one and two now you should be on board that is my take absolutely and i was gonna throw it to chris as kind of being a wet blanket on the rating side of things but after jake is just a full-on buzzkill about galadriel's happiness (laughs) chris Bring some positivity to this show, please. My blanket is rather dry this week, Jamie. I'll tell you what, this episode was very impressive. I think, yes, the storylines are great and they speak for themselves. I'm so excited to see where they go. But as a whole, I want to call out the storytelling method that these writers and the whole film team is using. It felt like peak Game of Thrones when those original middle seasons where we were getting these storylines that were handled with care so, so well, balancing back and forth. I just feel like we're getting a lot of content, but they're handling it in a great way. For me, these storylines this episode, I'm going to give this an 83. Woo! Improvement over the episode two. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting a little Hoopla! higher. Again, I think I've got a good handle on my scale already early here, but stunning visuals, great fight scenes, which stand all on their own, even in the world of Lord of the Rings and the original trilogy. I give this an 83. It's a definite improvement. I can't wait to see where these storylines go. I love to hear it. And as always, I'm going to give it the highest grade of the week. I thought it was a 98 out of 111. I loved this episode, loved everything about it. So many great new characters that are introduced. Everything moving forward with Isildur and his sister Aarian with the whole Builder's Guild is the thing I'm most interested in moving forward here with all the new Minorian characters. Can't wait for episode four and the rest of the season. Thank you all for joining in this week to the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. We appreciate everybody for listening. If you have any thoughts about our fantastic theories, if you have any issues with the way Chris grades the episodes because he's so mean. Not this week. If you think that the rest of us grade the episode too high, let us know. You can tweet at us at Hobbit Hoopla. You can find us on Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review if you feel we are worthy of it. And without any further ado, as we end every episode, it is time for the moment of highest hoopla. The highest hoopla today, as Sadok said, another season has passed in this glade, leaving us with full carts and fuller bellies. Some fuller than most, if we're being honest about it. As Elendil and Medor are still fighting, fighting, fighting. Or is Medor already dead at this point? Medor, I think, has already fallen. Oh, my bad. I thought I thought Medor was the Watch Warden. No, the Watch Warden is Ravion. Yeah. Fuck me then. Fact checker Jake coming back from episode two. <laughs> Hoopla!